It's been difficult. It's been hard. And I don't think fundraising is easy for anyone. And then when you add those other layers onto it, it's just, I think the big reason why it's more difficult for females and for females of color is because a lot of the times the problems that we are trying to solve for are problems that a lot of these investors don't know about. Hey guys, I'm Tara Wilson, and this is the Fierce Lab podcast, a series where women explore what it means to be confident, capable, and strong. That's Fierce, and we're here for it. Pearson Gaines is the founder and CEO of Pressed Roots, a luxury express salon experience for women with highly textured hair. On our episode today, Pearson shares her experience of launching a business and raising capital to scale. To learn more about Pearson and Pressed Roots, follow on Instagram at underscore Pressed Roots. So my name is Pearson Gaines and I'm the founder of Pressed Roots. Pressed Roots is the first brand and national chain of hair salons focused on the care and specific needs of people with highly textured hair. So if you're familiar with the dry bars or the blow bars of the world, it's essentially that for women with highly textured and ethnic hair textures. I love it. So in full disclosure, we met because I heard your How I Built This podcast. And um, just a bit of background, you know this story. The minute I heard it, I pulled over on the side of the road and sent you a text message via Instagram just telling you how impressed I was with the business that you're building. That is um, how much your story impresses me. And I kind of sought out our friendship. So thanks for joining me today. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And I'm so glad you reached out. And it's been really great getting to know you and all the great things that you're doing with Fierce Lab. Well, thank you. Thank you. And as you know, this is the Fierce Lab podcast. And we ask you to come and be a panel speaker at our kickoff event this past spring in Dallas. And um, you sat on our risk-taking panel, which is funny to me because when I asked you about risk and do you think you are comfortable with risk, what did you share? I said I I have not. I'm I'm not a risk taker at all. It's never been something that I've been known for. I've always been someone who just very, I've been very obedient from the time I was little. I just stick to the straight and narrow. You know, I went to always try to get the highest grades, not ever trying to go off the path, go to the best schools um, to get, the hope was to get a really great job and not take any risks along the way. Just do what I needed to do to get to that job, make the money I needed to make and just follow that path. Um, right. You are an entrepreneur. Arguably, one of the riskiest things a person could do in their life is start a business, and you have done it, and you're thriving. Yes, yes. A lot of things changed for me when I was in business school. I had a traumatic experience, and my mom passed away of cancer. And because of that, it kind of shifted the way I looked at the world. And why would I not take risks? The, our time here is so short and I should be doing, and everybody should be doing exactly what they want to do while they're here on this earth. And so that's when my mindset shifted about what I wanted to do and how I wanted to live here on earth. Mm, that's such a pivotal moment. You may recall 
Amber Ray uh, said at Fierce Lab, don't die with your gifts inside. And it sounds like when your mother passed, that was a light bulb moment for you. And you said, I'm going to go after what I want. Absolutely. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you're a Harvard grad. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And you left Harvard and moved to Atlanta to start. And that's where you started Press Roots? Yes. So after I graduated from Harvard Business School, I moved to Atlanta because I was in an incubator called Digital Undivided. um, And it was based in Atlanta. And so it was a temporary move. I'm now in Dallas, Texas, and this is where I'm launching Press Roots. But I was there. I was in Atlanta for a short period of time doing the incubator. How did Press Roots come about? Tell us about that. Yeah. So Press Roots really came about out of frustration um, that I've been experiencing my entire life when it came to getting my hair done. I've lost my hair on two separate occasions at the hands of two different licensed stylists, which is just insane. And just from doing research, I found out that I'm not alone. 50% of Black women experience hair loss at least once in their lives because there's not really any standard education about ethnic hair textures in cosmetology school programs. And so I didn't realize that, but if you think about it, it just makes sense with how much money this demographic of women is spending on their hair um, and you know the extensions and the weaves and all of that because our hair has been so damaged and put through so much um, throughout our, all of our lives. We've all had traumatic experiences at the hair salon. And so when I got to Boston, it became really difficult for me to find a place to get my hair done. And I ended up trying a dry bar, one of the dry bars that were nearby, um, because after getting a lot of, after people telling me that, you know, the one stylist that everyone had gone to that was, had my hair texture, that stylist had just recently moved to the local dry bar. And they were like, you have to make sure you go with this one specific woman. Don't uh-huh. go with any of the stylists. You can't go with any of them. Just make sure you request <laughs> this one oh, woman. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I went and I tried it out, it was just such an amazing experience. I was out of the salon in an hour. You know, they gave you the champagne and there was the nice music and it was like so service oriented and mm-hmm. throughout my entire life of getting my hair done literally from the time I was five getting it done like every other week I never had an experience like this and so I booked a standing appointment with this woman and then she ended up moving away a month and a half later oh, wow. and so I tried to get another person at that location and the, the woman couldn't do my hair at all. And so that's when I realized that there was just such a great market for it. I mean, I was asking, what I noticed is every time I went in there, a lot of the stylists would ask the people who, their clients, what are you here for? Like, what do you have, what are you getting your hair done for today? And people would say, oh, I have an interview or I have a party tonight or it's my birthday party. And it was always an event. And, you know, they would ask me and I was like, I'm, I'm getting my hair done. This is my maintenance. This is my maintenance I do every week, you know? And, um, and I, and I knew that I, I had girlfriends that, you know, they were going back to New York to get their hair done. They're going to Philly to get their hair done every other week. And we were spending so much money on our hair. And I was like, this experience, if there was an experience like this, where everyone here was really experienced with textured hair, it would just kill. Like we right. spend so much money and time and it's such a, you know, it's such a fruitful demographic. It would be really great. And so that's how I started thinking about starting Press Roots. Such a viable market. And I think that's a really valuable lesson for anyone thinking about starting their own business is, you know, is there a market for 
the business and the service that you want to provide. And you had seen it firsthand, but you didn't just jump in and open a salon after you recognized that there was this need. So walk us through what happened next for you. Sure. So after I realized there was this need, I was still at that point, I was still in business school. It was my first semester and I was in the, I was recruiting for internships. I was doing what everybody in business school is doing. I, I was, or I wasn't thinking about, I, I wasn't, I knew that this was a great business idea, but I wasn't ready to jump into it yet. And so I started using some of the resources that we had on campus. You know, we had an entrepreneurship lab. Um, there are mentors, there are professors who taught entrepreneurship and for people who were in the second year. And so I just started reaching out to people in the network, you know, asking people about their thoughts about this. I had really smart section mates um, in my class, which was really useful. I started bouncing ideas off of them and I was getting resoundingly, you know, really great feedback about the idea. And so after I I went forward with recruiting, did an internship that first year, but um, that first summer, and I had an offer that I had to decide by, by the by the next December. So between like September and December, I had to decide whether or not I wanted to take this offer. Mm -hmm. And so that semester I took, that's when I had the opportunity to take elective classes. So I took the entrepreneurship classes. I really started using my resources and I took a class that I was selected to pitch to some really prominent investors. And I I was Mm. given a lot of great feedback that this is a really good business model. You should Mm -hmm. consider pursuing it. And so I moved forward with doing a pop-up shop to test the demand a little bit more, that. test the concept. And once I tested the concept and it was, you know, it was sold, we did a sold out pop-up shop, got really great feedback. So um, let's, let's talk about this yeah. pop-up shop. I mean, so you, you'd pitch the ideas to investors and you got this favorable feedback plus all the feedback that you'd gotten while researching your idea and talking with your peers. And then you said, well, let's, let's do a pop-up. I mean, what does it take to create a pop-up salon? How does that work? I didn't know where to start with it. I just knew that to go from, at that point, everything that I had been doing was I had done a lot of research and I'd done a lot of talking about this idea, but I needed to move. I needed to create something that could show me whether or not this could work before I moved to a full salon and like tried to raise money. Um, cause I was really going from an idea to like, I needed some type of middle ground to like just test it. And so I was thinking, I didn't know what I, I didn't know how to think about it, but I, I came up with this idea of, you know, maybe if we just had one day where people tested it out for free, um, for free, so you, know, you didn't even charge that first time. Well, I I did, but I, I my initial thought was let's do it for free, okay. um, just because from all of the research that I had done, um, this demographic of women said that they would never go to a place that they didn't know any of the stylists. That it was a brand new brand. When I started thinking about this whole idea of a salon, that you know that was this. And they said they would love that, but they would never try something. They, wow. it, there's no trial. They wouldn't trial an error. At this <laughs> they didn't point. want to lose their <laughs> Right. Exactly. Uh, and for so, your <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so, um, so that was my initial thought, but I was like, I need to get people in the door. I can't charge what I would, you know, charge at a, if I was doing a salon. And so my, so I decided to price it at $10 just to like, I, w- I wanted to see if people would pay anything for it. Uh-huh. It, was just a, it was just a test. And that weekend happened to be a test that happened to be a weekend that all of my friends were out of town. It was the weekend of 
Boston Marathon. So everyone, it's like a, in Boston, it's a it's a holiday weekend. Sure. So it's like yeah. everyone everyone leaves. Everyone at Harvard leaves. And so I couldn't even, get, it wasn't even my friends that I was getting. So I was like, okay, I need to just like price this very low. The feedback I got was that you can't do it for free because then anybody will show up. You have to do a little something. And so I did $10 and I just wanted to see if this is something that people would like. This is something that people feel like they need. Um, what is the, how do they feel about the experience? You know, I just wanted to get. And but what kind of turnout did you have, especially given that friends and family weren't even in right. town? There were no friends and family. Everyone who showed, everyone who showed up were strangers, um, but it was sold out. I, it sold out within like 40, in less than 48 hours. Wow. And that it was because, and, I, and the thing is, I didn't, I didn't put any marketing dollars towards it either. I literally sent out a flyer to all of the different student organizations like Hispanic student organization, black student organization at all the different schools in Boston. Like I found online the presidents of these organizations at all the different schools. And I just sent them a flyer all at the same time. But the thing is, we had a lot of students, but we also had other people that weren't students who came out um, mm-hmm. because the word just spread. It got picked up by a couple of like blogs um, and it spread within a day. I love and, this. This grassroots yeah. marketing, this pop-up idea, you know, what back in the eighties, the idea was start a business in your garage. And now today's thing is hustle, grassroots marketing, pop-up experience it, try it before you buy it. Or in this case, you were testing it before you rolled it out big. I mean, for someone who's risk averse, you were really out there like pushing the limits. Yeah. Yeah, I was, but I mean, I, I do think that we were, we were testing too. So I wasn't going, I I didn't go all in. So it did feel kind of safe. I turned down my offer. So that was a, that was a huge risk. Mm-hmm. I turned down, you know, a nice salary to like try something, mm-hmm. but I did always feel like this, whatever I get from this experience is going to be very valuable. I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, I have tools and skills that I'll be able to get a job if some, if it doesn't work out, you know, it wasn't like, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to be homeless on the street. Right. Um, it was a risk, but it was also calculated. Mm. Um, and so I, um, so yeah, I, I was testing it. I, and it, I got great results. I literally put on that first flyer to all of that. I, the emails and I just said, I said, this is finally a blow dry bar for you. Right. And I, people, they really resonate. It really resonated with people and people were passing into their family members, their friends and everything. And just, it just spread. And so, um, and so then after that, when I went to Atlanta for the incubator, I tested the concept. I raised the price up, um, because $10 clearly was, <laughs> people thought, felt like it was a steal because it was, um, so we raised the price up, kept on raising the price and testing the business model, how we were paying the stylist, you know, what kind of model works the best for that, you know, what kind of experience we were doing, you know, at the first pop-up, we only did green juice. The idea was, you know, this is a, a service that you can trust. We do healthy hair, but it starts from the inside. Um, and then a lot of the feedback that we got was that, you know, it'd be nice to have a little mimosa. This was like a <laughs> nice experience. It was relaxing. So we added mimosas when we went to Atlanta. Uh-huh. Um, and so um, we just, you know, a lot of last year was all about just testing everything about the business model. So let me ask, or have you been in business for two years? When you say last year was testing the business model, was this just last year that you were in Atlanta? This was 2018. Yep. I didn't 
officially become a business until like the summer of 2018. So I think it's like officially just uh, been a year. But yeah, we I started like doing all everything. My first pop up was in April. Wow. You have really launched and launched successfully. And now you're in Dallas and you're planning to open your first studio. Yes, we are planning to open. Hopefully I'm targeting holiday season. Um, They always say in entrepreneurship, you got to like, you know, plan for everything to take a lot longer. And I'm noticing that. So so what's happened? (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes, you're literally building everything out. So, um, so just so we in Dallas, we we decided to launch a beta test here just to make sure that Dallas worked because Dallas was actually the most successful of all the pop ups, which is why we decided to come here. Um, and so we did. We were doing pop ups from February to June every other Sunday, um, and those did very well. And so that's when we decided to just move forward with raising money and launching this first flagship permanent location here in Dallas. Okay. And so, um, we've done, we've been raising money. We've done well, I'm still raising, okay. but enough to get this, like enough to at least start building this thing out. And so, so let's talk about that process of raising money, because that's one of the things that when I speak with other female entrepreneurs, that's a topic of conversation that is popular and ongoing. And I, don't seem to go into any room where it's not discussed. And we know that female entrepreneurs get about 6% of all venture capital um, and women of color get even less than that. So what's that process been like for you? What's your experience been? It's been difficult. It's been hard. And I don't think fundraising is easy for anyone. And then when you add those other layers onto it, it's just, I think the big reason why it's, more difficult for females and for females of color just because a lot of the times the problems that we are trying to solve for are problems that a lot of these investors don't know about. Um, They just aren't familiar with them. It's a lot of education. And so if they can't really see themselves using it or, you know, their buddies using it or their, you know, even their wives using it, like why it's hard for them to, you know, justify justify putting money behind it. And even when you give them the numbers about the market size and, you know, what the behavior is, it's just, it's, hard, it's, just, it's harder sure. um, for them. And so, and I think for me, it's an even bigger hurdle just because I, this isn't a typical, co- like a tech company. Sure. We are enabled by tech, but this isn't a purely tech company. And so like the upfront costs are a little bit different than a lot of these investors are used to dealing with when they're looking at companies and just the retail component, for example, having a storefront, you know, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's different than what they're usually used to. And so because of that, they want to see so much more traction than it would, than a typical tech company would need. So Mm -hmm. all this testing that I've done, all this validation that we've done, the money that we've made from the pop-ups, it's still minimum compared, like it it doesn't, it doesn't mean any, it doesn't mean as much to them Mm -hmm. because they don't know a lot about this business model. Sure. So they're, and they're not dealing with this business model a lot. Whereas I'm, I'm working out of Capital Factory right now, which is where a lot of businesses in the Dallas Fort Worth area started businesses work. And when I talk to them about, you know, their experience raising money, you know, they can talk to the, they don't have to have any money raised, but because they can talk to the users that have 
that are, you know, users that are even though they're unpaid or like sure. the, um, you know, the visits to the site, you know, sure. all of these things count as traction. Whereas with me, um, having this type of business model, it's like traction, how much money are you making every month and how high is it? And it's like, they need to see a certain amount of traction before they want to invest. And so sure. it's been difficult. Um, have you but, raised a, mm-hmm. a seed round, like a friends and family round first? And so, so now you're on to your next raise or is this your friends and family raise? So I have not done a friends and family raise. I went directly into a pre-seed angel round. Okay. Um, okay. So, For um, our so listeners, I, would you explain what an angel round is versus the friends and family round? Sure. So friends and family round is um, typically a... a a smaller round and it's based, it's raised from your friends, family, people that you know, and it's, it's typically a smaller round. My, what I'm looking for, because it, it is capital intensive to get this first build out. It, it's pretty cap. I, I I didn't think that angel round was going to do it for me. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to go with, um, angel investors who are, sometimes there are angel groups that invest. Um, and they're also like just, high net worth individuals that are angels and they're accredited investors that will invest in startup companies mm-hmm. um, based off of the founder, based off of how the company is doing. Mm-hmm. And I did it via a convertible note. So the convertible note basically means that the angel investor puts their money in mm-hmm. and there's a maturity date, um, so, but it comes, so you don't have to actually give a you don't give a valuation up front, right. but there's a maturity date. So it's almost like a, it's almost like a debt instrument. And so my maturity date is like 18 months. And so at the end of 18 months, I either have to pay that money back or I can raise again, which is what I'm planning to do. Um, and if you raise again, that money turns into equity for the angel investor. And because they invested so early on yeah. in your company's life, they get a little bit of a discount on the valuation. That's great. That's great. Thank you for that explanation. I know that that is something that um, I talk about with other women when we're talking about funding and and raising. And sometimes um, it's confusing, and and the, you know, it's not always something that we talk about. I started a new series on my Instagram account called Money Mondays because women aren't talking about investing. Women get uncomfortable talking about money, and. Uh- in particular, as a business owner, a lot of female entrepreneurs are not savvy when it comes to raising money. And so for you to share your experiences, um, I know is going to be grateful, greatly helpful to others. So thank yep. you. Yep. Yes, absolutely. Um, so you're, you're currently raising money and hoping to open your first salon by Christmas time during the holidays of this year. Um, and then what's kind of the bigger vision for press roots? Where do you go beyond this first one? Oh, well we want, so after we raise, I, I mentioned that we would be raising another round in about 18 months. Um, and so we want to open up a few more locations here in the Dallas Fort Worth area before we go nationwide. And so we want to be in every single city, every single, every major city in the United States. And we want to, we want to franchise. We want to grow pretty fast. Um, We want to be the destination for women with highly textured hair. Right now there is no 
brand that people with textured hair can trust. And it's really difficult for people who are traveling a lot, who move around a lot. In this day, we're traveling more than ever before. So we want to have, we want to be the trusted brand for people with textured hair. I love it. And so you're looking to follow a franchise model. What went into the decision making for that to become a franchise model? So the the decision was really, the mission of Press Roots is to make every woman have access to quality hair care. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in order to do that, you really need to be in every major city. And we have some other goals beyond that um, in terms of like tech capabilities where, you know, people can find Press Roots certified stylists on this platform. But um, in order to grow fast and to be in every single big city, major city in the United States, and then potentially grow beyond, you really need, um, the franchise model is the fastest way to do that. Um, and so we want to do a lot of work up front at the beginning, you know, really nailing down this business model so that quality doesn't, the, the big issue, the big debate when it comes to franchising versus, you know, remaining company owned is, you know, losing control and losing quality along the way because random people essentially that quote unquote will be, you know, running your business under your brand and, um, and how do you maintain that quality? And so we really want to make sure that with these first few locations, we really nail down those measures for quality control so that we can ensure that the owners of press roots in the future, there's quality control. So they're hitting these metrics or hitting these measures before they can, be under our brand. Right. And actually receive a franchise. So you get some control over who who opens oppressed roots. What advice would you have for female entrepreneurs that are thinking about growing and scaling their businesses using a franchise model? Now that I'm in this, it's always get good legal counsel. (laughs) Always have someone like I, there's so many loopholes around everything and not, not even loopholes. There's so many just intricacies and details that if you're not specifically in that space as a lawyer and haven't studied it for years and aren't doing it on a daily basis, um, you just will miss it. So get good legal counsel and invest in good legal counsel. And I'm so thankful for the, um, lawyers that I've, been able to work with the net that are on my team because um, there's so many different things that I would have missed and I and it c- could really have messed me up down the line and you know offers and deals that I've been um, presented that you know my lawyers gave me some really great advice mm-hmm. and I know that just thinking about the future uh, is it's so easy to just look near term but everything that you're doing now these like these the documents that you're signing now, the decisions that you're making now will impact your business forever. So yeah. the, the legal counsel is my advice. Sure. Well, and you made a reference to um, working with your team. So obviously building a business and scaling a business like this, you don't do it alone. Um, so share with us uh, how you've built out a team and kind of what that team looks like for you at this stage. Yeah, so my team is actually pretty small, but I have a part-time CFO. I have a um, a marketing consultant who heads all of the marketing and social media and all of those campaigns. Um, I have my legal team, and then I have the chief hairstylist, Mm -hmm. and then my stylist. 
I do everything. So right now I'm the only per besides my investors, I am the only person who has ownership in the company. Mm-hmm. And so because of the way my business is, it is, I, I'm going to be having one location, right? Like what, so because it's like, it's still small right now. Yeah. So I don't need an executive team. I haven't felt the need to bring on a co-founder yet. Um, mm. So, and so I've really been hiring and building up my team based off my needs. Mm -hmm. You know, when I knew I needed to, it was time after I did a few pop-up shops, I realized, okay, making a little bit of money right now, I should probably go forward and make this an official business, you know? Mm -hmm. So I got, that was when I started looking into getting lawyers. Um, You know, once I started um, talking to investors, it was like, okay, um, I need to really have a way to communicate my financial situation, Mm -hmm. um, in an ongoing way, I need to value my company. Um, and that's when I, you know, started, I started looking for a part-time CFO. Now, let me ask Um, you about that. Uh, Is your part-time CFO, what we might also refer to as a fractional CFO? So do you pay for that person's time and get a fractional amount of their time? Or have you put this person, um, on payroll as a part-time employee? Oh no. So she is like a contract position. So, um, basically every, so right now she's just been doing like different projects for me, but once doors open, how it works is every month I meet with, like I pay a quarterly, I pay her quarterly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, every quarter, um, I meet with her once a month where, you know, she's, we're talking about finances, strategy, you know, trends. Mm -hmm. Um, and then every quarter she helps me communicate the story about our finances in an investor report. Mm -hmm. But right now it's just been, it's just been like contract projects. Sure. Well, and I bring that up because I think it's a valid point to make that you don't have to have everyone on your payroll to launch and scale a business. You find good people that bring value and you work with them to make them fit within your needs. Oftentimes people don't necessarily want to be tied to one company, you know, as we talk about the gig economy that we're in, right? So for someone that's looking to start and or scale a business, thinking about unique ways that you can bring talent to your team without totally impacting your payroll, um, in my experience, it has been very valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the um, only per- people who I have on my payroll are the stylists. Um, and that's, yeah, it's just the stylists because they're getting paid every other week mm-hmm. right now for their pop-ups. Mm-hmm. So I just keep going back to someone who thinks, you know, about risk and was a bit risk averse, the the speed at which you're moving and the work that you're accomplishing, it's so exciting to see. It, you haven't let that slow you down. You have really pressed forward um, and it's really exciting to see that for you. Thank you. Yes, I'm excited. I'm excited. Um, I, I mean, this is what I decided to do full time. So mm-hmm. I... One of my, and I and I also think that this is a problem that needs to be solved sooner than later. Mm-hmm. In, I, in the world that I want to see, I want to see oppressed roots. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I mean, this is it's it's really what I'm I'm driven by making this happen. So there's not a day that goes by that I'm not trying to think how I can move this forward. Sure, I love that. So 
for women that are looking to launch a business, what three pieces of advice would you offer them based on your experience? Three pieces of advice is just do it. Mm. Just yeah, first is just do just it. There's, go out there and take it on. Yeah, take it on. Like you'll be, you really will be talking about it forever. You'll be, you know, you'll be ta- telling your friends about it and then someone else is going to do it. So you might as well just do it. And that's, that's exactly how I felt. Um, the next, Why not me? I, yeah, exactly. 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 It, it, cause it, w- it will be somebody else. Um, if it's not you. Um, and then the next piece of advice I would give is always be prepared. My f- mom used to always tell me luck is when opportunity meets preparation so if there's mm-hmm. something that you really care about, if there's, if you have this idea that you've been pitching, you need to always be ready to pitch your idea because you, you never know where you're going to be, who you're going to meet, um, yes. you know, a potential co-founder, an investor, you know, you never know who you might meet. So you need to be prepared with, always be prepared. Don't ever, like, yeah. I'm not the type of person who feels like, you know, I, I do think that people should, you know, take breaks and, you know, have me time and relax and all of that is healthy, but always try to find a way to keep your mind going, preparing yourself for an opportunity. Right. Right. And to your point, you never know who you're going to meet or when that opportunity is going to strike. I, I'm notorious for not just carrying my business cards, but I also carry additional information about um, my business and the things that I do. For that very reason. That's great. Great piece of it. Yes. Um, And then the next piece of advice I would give is that you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times, especially when it comes to women, Uh we feel that, you know, sometimes we don't deserve to be at a specific table or in a specific room. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a a lot of us deal with imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. and it's really important to know that if you made it into that room, if you made it into that, on, at that to be at that table, if someone reached out to you and asked you for your advice, you're supposed to be there. There's a reason for that. It wasn't by mistake. It wasn't by chance. You didn't just, you know, somehow Luck get in there. Through. Exactly. You deserve to be there. There was everything that you did up into your life up to that point got you there. And so show up and know that you deserve to be there. I love that. You know, I- I think what people don't realize is that as entrepreneurs, we're creators and we're building the things that other people want. And sometimes there's no model for it. There's not a roadmap for the things that we're building. And we just have to try because to your very first point, just do it. Because if if you don't, someone else will, and you will wake up one day with those regrets. And, you know, Sarah Blakely of Spanx talks frequently about just trying things, being willing to fail, being willing to embarrass yourself. And that is so much of what being an entrepreneur is about. Um, That's the hard work behind the scenes that a lot of people don't see is that we're sometimes just doing things and making things up as we go so that we have a really big impact. And yeah, it's so incredible. Yeah. So just do it. Always be prepared and trust the timing of where you are. Those are your top three pieces of advice. Anything else you'd like to add? I I guess another thing I would add is keep going. Just keep Mm. going too. Like 
you have to control the controllable. So like be prepared, be control, like you're in control of that. But when it comes to like people not liking you, people not liking your idea, people like keep going. If you believe in, believe in yourself, know that what you're doing is for a reason. And all those no's that you're going to get, like keep going. Yeah. Just keep Yeah. You know, Seth Godin talks about being out on the edge when he talks about having that viable market and like whatever it is that you're creating, be willing to be out on the edge with it. And the people that want what you want are going to come and they're going to be out there with you and, you know, love me or hate me, but don't be indifferent to me. Right. (laughs) Know that the market will come to you with the Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I love that. Well, Pearson, I'm so glad that you joined us today. One of the things that I like to ask all our guests is um, to share a little bit about what the word fierce means to you. It can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And I would love to hear from you of what that word means for you. Sure. Fierce to me represents someone who is so comfortable with who they are, um, bold and just knows and believes in themselves. Um, someone who really believes in themselves and knows without a shadow of a doubt that what's inside of them is right. And where they're going is the the right direction. Mm -hmm. So all of that, that I just mentioned about, you know, it doesn't matter what other people are saying. It doesn't matter what other people are thinking, you believe in yourself enough that you know that this is right. And I think that's just, it's so fierce when you see someone who just has that strong belief in themselves that's like just unwavering. Um, So, yeah. I love that. And you no doubt do. It's been so um, great getting to know you and watching what you're achieving. I mean, um, I like to talk about standing on others' shoulders and people creating a roadmap for me. And you're certainly one of those women um, with all that you're creating in this business that you're scaling. So I appreciate that you've joined us today to tell us about your... Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. It's been so nice getting to know you. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Same. Thanks for listening today. If you liked this episode, do me a favor and subscribe, leave a review, or tell a friend. With your help, we'll grow the Fierce Lab community. And I would love to stay in touch. You can find me on Instagram at Tara M. Wilson.